0: Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show.
1: Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the American gun violence epidemic. My name is Virginia Witzdum.
2: My name is Emily Manzo.
1: We are still reeling from the horrific news of the weekend before last and the political shifts since then. Mitch McConnell said the word background checks for the first time, perhaps following Trump's lead. Plus, 16 Democratic candidates met to discuss gun control in Iowa on Saturday.
2: Also on the show this evening, Loretta Chan interviews Dr. Megan Raney a physician with the group Affirm, who addresses how doctors can talk to patients and also the need to study gun violence as a health epidemic. In the past week, Dr. Ranning has been joined by others in the medical field calling for legislation to help them do their jobs of protecting people from injury and death.
1: And now the news. Last weekend's massacres, 22 people killed in an El Paso Walmart and nine shot to death in Dayton continue to make news. Most notably, two of the most powerful blockers of gun reform said they'd consider gun legislation. President Trump on Friday called for federal laws mandating background checks and, quote, red flag laws, which allow family and others to petition a judge to take someone's guns away if they are behaving erratically. Many states already have these extreme risk protection order or ERPO laws. Trump has promised to stand up to the NRA before, though, after mass shootings in Las Vegas and Parkland and then caved. So it's probably a bigger deal that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the grim reaper of gun control, said last week that the Senate will discuss background checks, laws governing assault weapons and red flag laws when Congress returns in September. As you may remember, the House passed H.R. 8, a background checks bill, in the last session, but the assumption has been that it could never pass the Senate, which may still be true. Many fear that McConnell will protect his A rating from the NRA by tacking an amendment, maybe immigration-related, onto a gun control bill in order to sink it. Senators of both parties doubt that Massacre Mitch will bring any gun control measure to the floor unless he's told to. Quote, there's no way Republicans are voting for a background check bill unless Trump comes out in favor of it for more than a couple of hours, said Senator Christopher Murphy of Connecticut, adding, I've been to this rodeo before. An important player in the no-gun control Republican rodeo is the NRA, but the gun lobby is not having a great year. Last week, New York Attorney General Tish James issued a subpoena seeking documents from more than 90 current and former members of the organization's board. The subpoena is an escalation of a continuing investigation into financial shenanigans that violate the tax-exempt status of the beleaguered gun lobby.
2: Also calling for gun reform this week were members of the medical profession. Seven big professional groups, including the American Medical Association, American Psychiatric Association, and the American Public Health Association, jointly called for the following policies. 1. Comprehensive criminal background checks for all gun purchases. 2. ERPO or red flag laws, which allow a judge to temporarily take guns away from people who seem at risk for harming themselves or others. 3. Federal laws that protect spouses of domestic abusers should apply to dating partners as uh, well, a.k.a. closing the boyfriend loophole. 4. Passing laws to hold accountable gun owners who do not keep their guns safe away from kids in their home. 5. Quote, special scrutiny and regulation of high-capacity magazines and firearms with features that increase their rapid and extended killing capacity. This seems to stop short of an assault weapons ban. The docs also call for six, research into the causes and consequences of gun injury and death and using that research to reduce those injuries and fatalities. Seven, physicians should be free to counsel patients about gun safety. Finally, the medical professionals call for improving access to mental health care for all individuals but did not recommend that everyone with a mental health or substance use disorder be prohibited from gun ownership. We'll have more on research, counseling, and mental health laws later in the show. Another response to the shootings came from a giant,
1: from giant retail chain and gun purveyor, Walmart. Less than a week before the massacre in the El Paso store, two Walmart managers in Mississippi were killed by a disgruntled employee in a Walmart. In response, the chain stopped displaying video games. The gun displays remain. The American Federation of Teachers threatened to boycott Walmart if they don't stop selling guns and ammo. The AFT has 1.7 million members and says teachers spend an average of $500 a year on school supplies. Finally, this Saturday, 16 of the Democratic candidates for president attended a gun forum in Des Moines, Iowa. Most agreed on the need for background checks and red flag laws, as well as banning assault weapons. Just before the forum, Elizabeth Warren unveiled her detailed gun control plan, which went further than that. Warren's plan includes creating a federal licensing system for people buying guns or ammunition. She's also calling for new restrictions on gun purchases, minimum age of 21, people would be limited to buying one gun a month, and there would be a one-week waiting period for all purchases. Warren's plan also calls for increasing taxes on gun manufacturers, as well as giving $100 million annually on research, spending $100 million on research into gun violence. Why isn't that already funded? Uh, In the 1990s, the NRA pushed its puppets in Congress to nip gun control in the bud. Arkansas Rep. Jay Dickey added an amendment to a 1996 spending bill forbidding federal spending to quote, advocate or promote gun control. The Dickey Amendment has blocked CDC funding for gun violence research ever since. For more on this, we go to Loretta Chan's interview with Dr. Megan Ranney of Affirm.
0: I talked with Dr. Megan Ranny, an ER physician and chief research officer of Affirm, a group of healthcare professionals working to end firearm violence in the U.S., Dr. Rani is hopeful that the medical community can stop shooters before they shoot by using a nonpartisan public health approach. She says, We don't need Congress to do this. I asked why she and other healthcare professionals are on the front lines of this movement.
3: Um, I'm an emergency physician, right? It is a rare weekend when I don't have a gunshot victim come through my ER. Um, And then if they survive, they go to the trauma surgeons and the uh, rehabs, Um, they touch nurses and psychologists. We are the ones who see the impact of gun violence every day. We also know how to fix it. Um, Across history, we've used science to create solutions to epidemics in general and to injury epidemics in particular. Um, We've decreased deaths from car crashes by over 50% over the last 50 years um, by using the public health or the medical approach. And it's crazy to us that we have this epidemic in the United States, that we're seeing these people come through our doors every single day, that we're taking care of the aftermath of gun violence every single day, and yet we don't have tools to prevent it. And that's why we're involved, because we are both the ones who treat and the ones who know. Uh, that we can create solutions.
0: Treating gun violence as a public health problem seems so obvious. What are the barriers?
3: So I think there's a few barriers. I think one is is that doctors just aren't trained in how to talk to patients. It's not something we learn in medical school, right? Um, partly because there's been virtually no research for the past 22 years. Um, But partly also because, you know, when the Dickey Amendment was passed in 1996, that effectively banned research um, or stopped it on a federal level. um, At that point, a lot of physician leaders got really scared about talking about the issue. They were worried that it was politicized, Um, and so as a result, again, none of us learned how to ask. So that's part one: is that we just don't know what to say um, when we ask, and then we don't know what to say when someone says, "Yes, I have a gun," and if we're not educated. Um, about how to have these conversations in a culturally competent way, then it's normal um, to get afraid uh, of, of um, kind of how patients are, are going to respond. You know, I go back to um, the early days of the AIDS epidemic, right? At that point, we weren't asking about sexual behaviors the way that we are now. We didn't know how to ask or how to counsel. And people were scared of either stigmatizing patients or um, of saying the wrong thing. Um, And making things worse. Or they were scared of people's reactions. You know, what if they ask a question and someone gets angry? That took a little time to teach docs how to do that in a way that was effective and respectful. Um, And and we're facing the same thing now with firearms. And, And, you know, I'll also say there that we don't yet have great evidence. Again, you look at other public health epidemics, and we have spent a lot of time and money. To help us as healthcare professionals and to help us as community members to know what to do about it, um, but for firearm injury, because we've had so little federal funding for the past 23 years um, since that Dickey Amendment was passed, the state of knowledge for us is really just stuck in the late 90s. Um, and and that's why we at a firm kind of were created was to try to jumpstart that evidence and to jumpstart these discussions. Um, I think about it as similar to um, what kind of folks did in the early days of HIV/AIDS with having private foundations to jumpstart research and and conversations, or even going back further, it's similar to what the American Cancer Society did back in the 1940s um, to start research about um, chemo and to start public discussions about cancer as an illness. You know, at that point, people didn't even talk about it um, if if they were diagnosed. And so it was really through the work of the private American Cancer Society that, that change started to happen. And then the federal government stepped in.
0: Although there is no standard curriculum to teach doctors how to talk about gun safety, a variety of tools and trainings are available through a firm. And the American Medical Association to help healthcare professionals talk to patients. Describe your interactions with patients. Who are you asking about firearms? And how do those conversations go?
3: I counsel patients all the time. Um, folks who are feeling depressed or suicidal, I ask them or their family members about their access to a gun um, and have. Uh, been able to use that question to help change um, families practices for the short term to keep patients safe. Um, mm-hmm. I talk to victims of domestic violence. Um, if a woman or man is a victim of domestic violence and their partner has access to a gun, um, it dramatically increases that person's risk of death, um, particularly at the moment of leaving. And so it's a critically important conversation to have. Um, mm-hmm about, you know, if if the partner has a gun, it increases my concern about that person's safety and um, makes me try to bring more resources in to help do um, safety planning.
0: What are the risks of asking patients about firearms? For example, I belong to a parenting group on Facebook. A mother in the group posted how offended she was when her doctor had asked if she had any guns in the house. She was black she felt she was being profiled how can doctors be sensitive to their patients backgrounds
3: that's a great question and i think it points out that just like with any other potentially sensitive question you have to know why you're asking it you have to contextualize it Mm -hmm. and then you have to provide information afterwards and i think um, there are a lot of different ways in which questions can get misinterpreted in a medical encounter Um, and i think that you have to take into account know where are you practicing are you in an urban location or a rural location do a lot of your patients hunt is there a racial aspect Um, are you do people fear that you're politically labeling them Um, are people worried about whether you're going to put it into the electronic medical record again I, i think back to the early days of hiv aids and when people wouldn't get tested with their name because they were so afraid about stigma and I think we have to be aware that our patients are worried about being stigmatized for answering that question truthfully Um, one of the things that I advise is to ask it within the context of other um, similar questions so if it was a pediatrician talking to a parent you want to ask and counsel about gun safety the same way that you do about car seats or poisonings or any other kind of what we call anticipatory guidance issue uh, you don't just want to ask out of the blue and make patients think that you're asking because of a political reason. You need to focus it on the health of that patient. Patients, of course, have the right to refuse to answer questions. Um, we as physicians are there to help and to guide, not to, you know, uh, not not to force things on people. And so if, if a patient doesn't want to answer the question, that
0: that's up to them. And if they say there is a gun in a house, do you record that in a database?
3: Does it go into? No, there's no, yeah, there's no database. There's no like national surveillance system. There's, there's nothing that's going to keep track of them. I I think that's a common concern, Um, but there is no national database. Um, It doesn't get recorded anywhere. It's not even a click box on my electronic medical record. Um, It's something that I use to help stratify risk.
0: You can learn more about how to move the conversation forward about gun violence being a public health issue by visiting AffirmResearch.org. So
1: interesting how she likens gun violence to AIDS. Uh, Kathy Marino-Thomas and others have been drawing that parallel, which include the numbers. Both guns and AIDS kill about 40,000 people a year in the U.S. But I'd never before thought of the parallel of the sensitive questions, What's your sex life? Wasn't something that doctors asked before AIDS, but now it's normal. Is there a gun in the house? Could also be normalized. And maybe that could move the view of guns from thing you have a constitutional right to own to thing that makes you likelier to be injured or die.
2: Totally. Um, when we listen to people like Dr. Ranny, doctors and nurses and people in the medical profession on the front lines of this crisis, truth and common sense ring out, um, As doctors said back when the NRA told them to stay in their lane, it is their lane when they're the ones patching up bodies shattered by bullets. And they're the ones doing the research. Um, I found an article published just last month in the Journal for Adolescent Health about a study on youth firearm access, violence, and mental health. Um, What they discover isn't surprising. Youth with even potential firearm access demonstrate more violence and other behavioral and mental health issues than youth without potential access to guns. They also found that parental firearm ownership predicts youth firearm possession, like the El Paso killer whose parents owned guns. So, According to the study, there is a link between having gun access and behavioral or mental health issues. As we're hearing people argue, it's the shooter, not the gun. Here is some solid research that in regard to the mental health of the potential shooter, it is very much the gun and access to the gun. Um, Here's some more statistics. According to the American Psychiatric Association, people with serious mental health problems account for just 3% of all violent crime. Though as many as 1 in 5 people in the U.S. experience a mental illness every year, most mentally ill people are never violent. Information from the National Center for Health Statistics shows that fewer than 5% of the 120,000 gun-related killings in the U.S. between 2001 and 2010 were perpetrated by people diagnosed with mental illness. Only 1% of discharged psychiatric patients commit violence against strangers using a gun. And the mentally ill also account for less than 3% of all violent acts with guns.
1: It's so great to have medical professionals pushing back on Trump's typically wrong-headed response to yet another massacre. He made his teleprompter noises about white supremacy finally after El Paso, but when it came to solutions, he blamed video games and mentally ill people. Um, Just another example of this president othering as he does. Um, Othering lets white hunters keep their guns and keeps them away from all those other groups. As many people have pointed out in the last week, hate and racism are not mental illnesses. They are, however, contagious, and the El Paso shooter quoted the president when he announced his aim to stop the Hispanic invasion of Texas.
2: Now we honor the memory of Elsa Mendoza Marquez, a dual Mexican-American citizen from Juarez, who was among the victims of the shooting at the Walmart in El Paso, Texas, on Sunday, August 3rd. She was 57 years old. Elsa was originally from the town of Ipomera in the northern state of Chihuahua. She was known for her optimism. Several news outlets commented on the outpouring of messages on social media from Elsa's teachers' union as the news broke of her tragic loss. Quote, she was always, she always, always had a smile, said Rosa Maria Hernandez Madero, a colleague. Elsa used to say things done with love are done better, and she was always ready to help, end quote. She was the principal of an elementary school in Juarez. She dedicated her life to helping children with a particular focus on special education. She was a member of a beloved family of teachers and regularly ca- crossed the border to visit one of her sisters, who was also a special education teacher in El Paso. Elsa is survived by her husband, Antonio de la Mora, and their two adult children. The couple had been married for 33 years and were described by a relative in an interview with NPR as very much in love, very romantic. De la Mora, a professor at the University of Juarez, bade farewell to his wife in an emotional message on social media where he wrote, I say goodbye to my companion, the most wonderful woman, a person full of light who will continue to illuminate our path. The couple was with their son when Elsa went alone into the Walmart to quickly pick up grocery items and never returned. The family was visiting her daughter, who had graduated from college in Colorado. Mexican officials have now called this attack an act of terrorism against their citizens on US soil. At Elsa's funeral, A reporter from the Boston Globe spoke with her brother, Leopoldo Mendoza, who said, let's see what we can do to stop this racism because it's not fair. This is purely a consequence of the president of the United States being racist towards Mexicans.
1: Thank you, Emily. Um, So heartbreaking. So preventable. Um, uh, It's a, yeah, it's a hard week. Um... That is, We are coming to the end of our show, um, and we invite our listeners to come help us fight gun violence. Here in New York, we meet every other Thursday at 7 in Manhattan at the LGBTQ Center on 13th Street and 7th Ave. Our next meeting is the day after tomorrow, Thursday the 15th. Please join us in planning actions and protests. Everybody
2: is welcome at Gays Against Guns events and meetings. Uh, To find out more about working with us, please go to gaysagainstguns.net or follow us at Gays Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or gagnoguns on Twitter. Uh,
1: Another great way to get involved is by becoming a WBAI buddy by signing up to give a small donation to this radio station every month. If everyone chips in, we can keep this volunteer-run show on the air. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become
2: a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Um, and really, just a modest monthly contribution can really help. Thank you. So. Thanks for listening. We're back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 6.30
1: p.m. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the BAI website or at GaysAgainstGuns.net. We are also available wherever you listen to podcasts. Now we leave you, as always, with um, an immigration-related song this time from our sister singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. There's room for all
0: we got lots of space Don't need a border wall That is only about race Same Same as it ever was Same
1: as it ever was Same as it ever was Same as it ever was Making us great again Well, we all know what he means
2: Making us hate again He wants white supremacy Back to our racist roots Slavery, genocide,
1: not in our lifetimes, build a people, not a wall.